Hey, it is great to see all of you, those of you who I can see. For those of you who are joining us today that I can't, welcome to you also. For those of you sitting in your living room or maybe in another state or another country, welcome to you. For those on our Moon campus, good to be able to share this time together with you as well as those who are a part of our classic venue. And uh, looking very much forward to taking us back into, for the second week, uh, a very important book that we find in the Old Testament. And I'll, I'll share some of that again with you as we get ourselves started. But first, as we get ourselves started, what I want to ask you is, do you have a favorite genre of movie? You know, maybe it's drama or maybe it's rom-com or it might be sci-fi. For me, I think my favorite genre of movie is action. I, I mean, other than Hallmark, of course, that, uh, that it would be action movies. And, and one of the staples of action movies is that there's always got to be a good car chase right? And in those car chases, there's always speed, and there is always danger, and there's always crashes, and there's also a lot of Hollywood. Because, I say that because sometimes you hear about car chases that happen in real life, as it were, and they're never quite the same as the ones you see on TV or in the movies. There always seems to be some unique sort of twist in the ones that you hear about that go on sort of in our world. I was reading about one of those that had just happened in Worcester, Massachusetts just a couple of, couple of months ago, and uh, there was this woman. She stole a pickup truck, and she was making her escape, and she was breaking all kinds of traffic laws, and she hit a couple of cars. At one point, she intentionally rammed her car into the police cruiser, and then she did her little twist, the thing that you never would have expected. While she's on the run from the police, she pulled in to the McDonald's drive-thru. The McDonald's drive-thru. Why do you do that? You know, you think, well, maybe she thought she was evading. No, she didn't. She said later it was because she was hungry and wanted something to eat. She had a hankering for some chicken McNuggets, she said. And so she pulled in, and, and she probably thought, maybe I can even get away from this way. Of course, the cops knew where she was, and they pulled in also. And uh, so they were going and getting ready to arrest her. And all of a sudden, she races out of line. She was just trying to evade them, trying to give them the shamrock shake, you might say. But, but, uh, but, but she didn't get away. She didn't get away. They did arrest her. And the police spokesman actually said, we took her from the golden arches to the silver handcuffs. And now she's actually facing supersized list of charges against her. Well, well, giving chase is something that we certainly see in the movies, and we learn about some of that in real life. There are all kinds of things that people chase after today. I mean, it might be a policeman that's chasing after some fugitive. It might be a, a hunter that is chasing after his or her prey. It might be a runner who's chasing after a victory or a finish line. It might be an entrepreneur who's chasing down a dream. There are all kinds of things that we can think of where there's a, a chase that's going on. And today we're going to see another chase, another chase in real life. This one has to do with a guy named Solomon. He is chasing after something that has been eluding him also. And we're going to see a lot of that as we open up the scriptures today. Now, we learned about this guy Solomon last week. He's referred to as the teacher back in verse 1 of chapter 1. But he's our guy. He's introduced to us as the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Solomon's the only guy who fits the bill. He's the guy who's our teacher, who's our preacher, who's our author here in this text that we're looking at. Last week, we were introduced to him 
as a guy who is the wisest man in the world. Although we saw that he doesn't always apply the wisdom that he was given to the circumstances of life. So he's the guy, we meet him back in chapter 1, we learn a little something about him. Well, today we're going to learn more of his story as we go on into chapter 2. And that's where we're going to be today, is Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And I would invite you, please, open up your scriptures to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. There's a lot there we're going to be making our way through, and it'll be helpful for you to have it open. Each week, I encourage you to bring your Bible so that you can write notes in the, in the margin, so that you can have something there that jogs your memory the next time that you go into it, and hopefully something that's helpful for you here today as well. Now, while this book was written a long time ago, it is amazingly relevant for where we find ourselves today. The things that Solomon is searching after, the things that he is trying to find, and the way that he's going about trying to find it sounds so much like the world that we live in today, because people today are continuing to give chase for things that are eluding us. We see that all around us. People are looking for that which is going to give their lives meaning and is going to give their lives value and is going to give their lives purpose. And so people today, we find they're searching in all sorts of places for where they might find that meaning, for the, where they might find that identity. And so we see people, some people are trying compassion. Some people are trying philanthropy. Some people are trying things like activism or gender exploration or sexuality or family or work. There's no end to things that people are trying that they're using on their search to try to find that which is going to be transcendent for them, that which is going to ultimately anchor them. We see it all around us, and there's nothing wrong with searching. In fact, until you come to the place where you establish a meaningful foundation, you should continue to search. You should continue to look and not just settle. Last week, I urge you to ask the questions that might puzzle you about faith to get to the bottom of them so that you might find some answers. There's nothing wrong with that. We've pointed out that to ask your questions, your spiritual questions, isn't suggesting that you have a lack of belief. It's actually suggesting that you do have belief because if you're unwilling to ask the questions that are there, and all of us have those questions, if we're not willing to ask them, what we're essentially saying is that I don't think that my faith is going to be able to stand up to the questions that I have, and so we just sort of ignore them. We sort of pretend that everything's fine, and for some of us, we make our way all the way through our Christian life just pretending that things are great. And we can never get too deeply into anything because it's inevitably going to cause that issue to bubble up, and we're going to have to be faced with it at that point. So many of us have a spiritual life of avoidance is really what it is. So the teacher, Solomon here, that we met in chapter 1, has some honest questions of his own. And ultimately, he's struggling to find meaning. He's struggling to find purpose. He's trying to figure out what is going to cause my life to make sense. So last week, as we got started, chapter 1 and verse 2, we saw what he had to say there about how he was processing things. And he comes to this conclusion right at the beginning of Ecclesiastes. He says, meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. He says, everything is meaningless. So he engages in this search to try to find the meaning. And this book is all about his searching and trying to figure out where might I find that. In chapter 1, we saw him speaking of it in more generalities. We're here as we move into chapter 2, he starts to get specific. 
And as he does so, we, three, we see three basic categories or three different realms where he's going to try to search and find meaning as we dig into this here today. And so that's how we're going to orient what we have to say around this topic today. First of all, we see that he is chasing meaning. That's what we're talking about, is giving chase. He's chasing meaning through pleasures. Through pleasures. There's an outline there in the pathway notes, and you can jot these things down. So here's how he starts out in chapter 2, verse 1. Let's look at it. He starts by saying, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. He's talking about testing himself, essentially, testing to find meaning, to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. So here he gives us his opening thought, and he gives us his conclusion, all in verse 1. It's like, okay, now what are we supposed to do? Are we done? Should we just pray and go home? No, 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 you don't do that. There's more to come here. But that's kind of where he starts. And then he sort of rewinds and he says, okay, let me give you the specifics that led me to that sort of conclusion. Verse 2, laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? Solomon says that he started his exploration looking for deeper meaning through laughter, thinking that there's something significant there. After all, Reader's Digest says that laughter is the best medicine, right? Yeah, that's, that's what it says. And if, and if you don't know what Reader's Digest is, later on, look for somebody who looks old and ask them. They'll, they'll be able to tell you. And doctors, medicine actually tells us, the medical field actually tells us that there is a benefit, there's a health benefit to laughter. That should we lean into that? We should do that. And that's why you send post to people, you send links to people of those silly things because you think it's going to be funny and you think they're going to laugh at it. And I just want to take a moment to pause and thank all of you who've been sending me YouTube videos of cute and funny cats. I just love it when you send those to me. So, uh, you know, that's, that's just awesome. And given what we've already said, if you'd have laughed a little bit more about that, you probably could have added a couple of days to your life. Because laughter is a good medicine. So I just want you to remember that as we make our way forward here today, okay? This could be a life-giving sermon for you, quite literally, all right? So just keep that in mind as we go. It's good to laugh. We love to laugh. And there's a reason that we know the names of Jerry Seinfeld and and Larry the Cable Guy. Because when it comes to to laughter, when it comes to comedy, those guys get her done, right? Right? Absolutely, they do. Yes, I, I knew you were right with me there, so thank you. You could have added a couple more days to your life if you'd have wanted to, but you didn't, so there's nothing wrong with laughter unless you're trying to use it to answer life's emptiness because there it comes up significantly short. Nothing wrong with laughter, but if we're trying to cause it to provide us with something that it just doesn't have the, the guts to provide, then it still leaves us empty. And that's what Solomon found. He tried laughter. He tried the entertainment, and that didn't do it. So he goes on, verse 3. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. This is an avenue a lot of people go down when they're trying to sort out life or when they're trying to deal with the challenges and the problems that inevitably come up. A lot of times people turn to substances. And what Solomon found out, what everybody else finds out as well, is namely that substances can numb. They can cause you to forget about life for a while, in the words of Billy Joel. But ultimately, 
They can't provide. They can't sustain. And they certainly can't provide meaning. Solomon says, I tried that. It doesn't work. Verse 4, he's got more. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. He's calling having fruit trees a pleasure. If you were last with us last week, I told you about my hyper-producing apple tree this year. It is giving me no pleasure whatsoever to just pick up apples after apples after apples. If you missed the story, listen to it online and you'll know what we're talking about. Verse 6 says, I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees, which sounds beautiful, but it also sounds like it's going to take a lot of work. So I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers. You might have Spotify. Solomon had the actual artist in his house. That's, what's going, that's what he's saying here. That's what he's got. And he says, I've got a harem as well, the, the delights of a man's heart. Now, he just drops in, yeah, I got this harem, but what he's not telling is what we're told elsewhere is, yeah, he's got 300 concubines and 700 wives. Imagine that. I'm not going to make a joke about that, but that's the real thing. If anyone would have been in a place to come to a conclusion or to understand whether or not sexual exploits or experimentation can take you to the place of having ultimate meaning and purpose, Solomon's your guy. He doesn't. Verse 9, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Then he gives a summary for the opening section of Searching After Pleasure. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. This teacher is going to try everything, isn't he? To try to figure this out. He kind of reminds me of that guy in the song who's trying to make the most of the time that he had. And so what's he do? He goes skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing. He goes 2.7 seconds on a bull named. I knew it. I knew that I was pastoring a congregation of country music fans. But I love you anyway. <laughs> the message we get so often is in life is that we should go after all of the pleasures that we can possibly get and that that's what's going to satisfy us. Corners of psychology will tell us that whatever it is that your heart desires, you better go after because if you don't, you're going to end up with this internal angst. You're going to end up depressed. Solomon listened to all that advice. He indulged every pleasure he possibly could. And he doesn't just go partway into it. He is all in on the things that he's going after here. And it got him to a place where he declares, life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. See, it wasn't the refusal of pleasures that led him toward depression. It was the pursuit of pleasures as a solution to what was missing in his life that leads him in that direction. Now, Ecclesiastes doesn't show us the meaningless of 
uh, meaninglessness, to, to make us depressed, but to drive us to something better. That's the ultimate purpose here. If living for pleasures provided all of the meaning and fulfillment that was available in life, then you should go after it. That's what you should pursue. But it doesn't. It leaves us empty and wanting for something better. So Solomon, Solomon moves on to something more. He says, I went chasing after pleasures. It didn't fulfill. So there's something else that he's going chasing after. And the second of those things is that he's chasing meaning through wisdom. That's what the teacher says as he picks it up here in verse 12. Look at it. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? He's saying, I've done everything. The person coming after me, they can just look at what I did because there's no stone I'm leaving unturned. I'm going after everything. Verse 13, I saw that wisdom is better than folly. Just as light is better than darkness, the wise have eyes in their heads while the fools walk in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This is really interesting here. Solomon has turned his attention to wisdom, and he's comparing it to the pursuit of pleasures that he's just been describing for us, and he's referring to that quest as foolishness. And as you might expect, he says in verse 13, we looked at it, if you see it there again, that wisdom is better than folly. That makes sense to us. Wisdom would tell you to keep the law, to live a moral life, to not cheat anybody, to tell the truth, to not cheat on your taxes, to not, to not lie or cheat, to not smoke or chew or go with girls that do. That's what my parents used to tell me. You would naturally think that those things would lead to better outcomes than their opposites, and they do. They do for a while. But did you notice the conclusion he comes to there at the end of verse 14? He says, but I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. He's saying, yeah, we would certainly think that, that just going after pleasures, that, that's not going to be where it's at. But wisdom, that is where it should be at. Solomon says the same fate overtakes them both. In other words, that even wisdom is foolishness. That even wisdom is meaningless. This is a stunning realization. See, religion would tell you that living by the standards of wisdom is the answer. That's what religion would say. Common sense would tell you that living after wisdom is the answer. Your parents probably told you that living after these ways of wisdom is the answer. And as a result, we have a lot of people who are walking around today putting a whole lot of hope in where they stand in the wisdom versus foolishness spectrum. And as long as we're toward the direction of wisdom, we feel that we're actually doing pretty well. And Solomon said, that's what I did. I applied myself to wisdom. And you know how it worked out for me? Meaningless. Did nothing for me, he said. Now, all of us, I'm guessing, are striving to live a wisdom-filled life. I'm guessing that that's what we're trying to go after. And I'm also guessing that most of you are achieving it. Not perfectly, 
There are times you slide over in the other direction, but for the most part, and on balance, you're doing pretty well in that regard. And because of that, we live with a confidence that we're right where we need to be, or at least we've got a fighting chance when it comes to eternity and things yet to come. And if we need a little comfort, we just look around us because it's not hard, to find, hard at all to find people who are, who are living by foolishness and people who are, who are living just by pleasures. And we look at them and all of a sudden we feel, you know what, I'm doing pretty well. It's salvation by comparison is what that is, and we sometimes prop ourselves up through that. But there's no more meaning in that for us than there was for Solomon. Solomon says hedonism isn't the answer. He says neither is morality. It might sound like kind of, what? You, re- you really mean? Yes, I really mean that. That's what Solomon's saying. So many of us are, are, are holding on to the moral life that we're living is the thing that is earning our favor with God. But some of you also remember that it wasn't all that long ago we talked about the fact that favor with God is found through Jesus plus what? Nothing. Plus nothing. Not plus your morality. Oh, good. Jesus says, you're a moral person, so that means that I can welcome you into heaven. Is it important to live a moral life? Absolutely it is. Is the place to give you the confidence? Do you have favor with God? No. It comes through Christ. But some of us are holding on to morality as the thing that is making God feel good, good thoughts about us. So Solomon says there's got to be some different solution because pleasures didn't do it and wisdom didn't do it. So next we see him chasing meaning through work. He says, I've got to find it. It's here somewhere. It's got to be. It's not in those things. Well, maybe it's through work. We're going to see how Solomon feels about this as he goes on in verse 18. He writes, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil, which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. Obviously, Solomon is feeling that the answer to the meaning that is missing from his life is not the work of his own hands. There are a couple of reasons why. One of them is because he says, I go and I work hard and it's hard and it's painful and it's difficult to do all of those things. And then at the end of the day, you can't even take it with you. So that feels pretty empty. And it also leads to the second thing that he's complaining about. And that is since you can't take it with you, you got to leave it behind. And I don't like the idea of leaving it behind to these people who didn't work for it. Why should they get it? That doesn't make any, who knows if they're going to even handle it very well. Now, I'm guessing that most of you are planning to give that inheritance or what is left when you die to your kids. I'm guessing that's what you're doing. And since my dad listens to all of these messages that I preach, I think that's a fantastic idea that you would do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, just last week he told me that he was looking over one of his investments and he realized that he had made me the sole beneficiary of that and hadn't included my siblings. So he said he fixed that, he changed that and included them. So glad you caught that, Dad. Yeah, 
So, so glad for that. Way to go. Now, I'm guessing that most of you are going to find some joy in being able to give an inheritance to your kids. I get that. I understand that. Me too. I feel the same way. I think that Solomon knew that the work that was required, he's not feeling that same joy. The work that was required to get there and to provide that inheritance probably wasn't, wasn't worth the end that it led to. It wasn't going to create this sort of, sort of legacy that he might desire to leave to those individuals coming after. See, financial inheritance isn't the thing that establishes a legacy anyway. In fact, what it oftentimes does is steal from us the time and the resources and the direction and the inclination to do the things that will establish a legacy with those who are coming after us. But so often we think, well, if I go and I work hard, then my kids are going to be so blessed by that. And so we're separate from them while we're running after all of these things and developing our career and and developing our reputation and, and creating this nest egg that ultimately they're going to be beneficiaries of while your kids are going to be in counseling trying to figure out why was dad so absent? Why did he not care? Why was mom not there? Why were they working for these other goals and leaving me on the sideline? Solomon says this doesn't make sense. Verse 22, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. That might be a knife in your your side. Even at night... They don't rest. Any of you find yourself at night still at work, really? Still answering emails, still sending the emails, your mind's still focused on those things? I fall in that trap. Sometimes ministry is just that. It just happens whenever. But we need to be very intentional about the way that we are living at home if we want to find meaning because he says it's not found just in the work itself. So we come near the end of this chapter. We've just gone through 22 verses, and all we found so far is meaninglessness. Isn't there anywhere for some some hope? Well, our best hope for finding it is Solomon as he wraps up this chapter, and as he does, we find him cutting to the chase. We've seen him all the way along, chasing meaning, chasing things, giving chase to all of it. Now he's just going to cut to the chase. He's like, well, let me just get to the point as he comes here to the end. So let's look at how he wraps this up. Verse 24, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. You might be like, wait a second. Didn't he just say that there's no meaning to be found in that? Yeah, does sound that way, but let's go on. The end of verse 24, this too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? This is a twist. This is a turn. He's he's drawing God into the equation now is where he hasn't before. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness, but to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And therein then lies the difference. We've talked before about this little phrase, under the sun. I tried to emphasize it a little bit as I read these different passages on our way through chapter 2. It showed up six times, and in another form, another time, 
beyond that, this under the sun. We've talked before, we talked last week about how it doesn't just refer to things on earth, things under the sun or things on earth. They are those, but it refers to more than that. It refers to things that are of the earth, things that are of a human origin, things that are created by mankind and for mankind. It's devoid of the provision and the purpose of God. But here in verse 24 and 25, which we just read, if you look at it again, it says that Solomon cuts to the chase here, or he does, and lets us know that when we stop living by our design, we stop living by our own self-interest, we discover that there's a God who's desiring to lavish gifts and lavish blessing and lavish meaning on people who would seek Him, who would run after Him. And they would find those gifts and that meaning in a way that they cannot find in any other place or any other way. Now, you might be thinking, well, sure you can find meaning. You can find me. All you need to do is you need to deny yourself all of these things, and then you will find your meaning in favor with God. And now you're probably sitting here thinking, oh, I get it. This is another one of those messages, maybe that you heard a bunch of when you were growing up, that says as long as you just deny, 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 deny yourself all of these things that really you ultimately want, then you can find favor with God. Is that what this is, Pastor Jeff? Is this just another one of those messages? Absolutely not. It is not that in any way, shape, or form. God is not some sort of cosmic killjoy who is willing to give you meaning, but it comes with a side of misery. That's not who God is. That's not what this is about. Not at all. The problem with Solomon's pursuit wasn't so much what he was pursuing, with a couple of exceptions we read in there, but that he was pursuing it as an alternative to God. That is saying, I can go after pleasure. I can go after wisdom. I can go after work, and I'm looking, I'm going to try to find my meaning there, or I can go after God. That's the dichotomy that is set up here, and the things under the sun are the things that he's been pursuing, he's been looking to, and they're all devoid of God. That is his problem. That's what this is talking about. His problem is that he thought he could cut God out of the picture and manufacture his own meaning and purpose, and he couldn't. So, there are two dramatically distinct approaches here as it comes to finding meaning that are identified in this text. The first is the person who decides that what they want to pursue and they just go after it. It might be pleasures, it might be wisdom, it might be work, and some of those are very respectable, and we can go at it and think, well, I must be doing something right because I'm really working hard, or I'm really trying to apply wisdom and live that sort of moral life that we were talking about, and so we feel pretty good about pursuing it in that way, and we do. We go after those things, and oh yeah, we also include a little bit of God because that's pretty important too, and so it's like we have this, our, our life is like a house that has a whole bunch of different rooms, and in those rooms, we put things that might be important to us. So in one of those rooms, it's like the entertainment room or, or the laughter room. And in one, there's the sexual intimacy room. And then there's, there's a room that's an office for your work. And, and then God, he's got another room. And sometimes you go and visit that room. And sometimes you close the door. But it's a very silo-operated life. And God has a corner, but he certainly doesn't have any authority. Which leads you to the other side, which isn't that God has a room in the house, it's that God is the house. 
God is the house. Now, you don't have to say deny, deny, deny and take all of the rest of those things that you want out of the house. Those things stay. In God's house, laughter stays. Entertainment can stay. Sexual intimacy should stay. Work can stay. It can all stay. It all belongs there. Under the leading of God's care. Under the leading of God's hand. All of those things are not in the category of things that need to be denied. They're things that need to be embraced under the direction, under the goodness, in the leading of God. So by all means, God should be a part of your work. Nothing wrong with going to work, but we work under the banner of God. It's not that we just take God to work. He's already there. It's just a matter of, are you going to engage Him there? We don't have to deny what might happen in our bedrooms. We can embrace what happens in our bedrooms as married individuals between a husband and wife under God's design because he's intentionally designed that and created that. And whenever we operate according to God's design under his leading, there is going to be fulfillment. There's going to be meaning. There's going to be purpose. So we need to ask ourselves, which of those houses do we live in? I know you want to live in the one where God is the house, but is that really the one that you live in, or is God in a room in the house? And so you go and visit him when you, when you show up at worship, but a lot of the rest of the week the door's shut. If we really want to find meaning and value and purpose, and the ultimate fulfillment in life. We can't just relegate God to the guest room. And so Solomon here is telling us, I wasn't sure where meaning really was found. And so I gave my heart fully to it as a test. I don't think this is just, I felt like doing all of these things, and so I'm using that exploration is an excuse to, to I, I think he was genuinely trying to find where is meaning found. And so he goes after those things and he finds them empty. And there's so much that we can learn from him so that we don't have to go back through all of the same steps. What did he say? He says, nobody coming after me is going to be able to, to find anything that I didn't already search for. The question is, which house are you living in? And what does it look like for you? This chapter isn't telling us that we can have God or we can have pleasure. They aren't on opposite ends of the spectrum. God created the pleasure and the wisdom and the work. And as we exercise them under the leading of God, we can find complete joy and complete fulfillment and complete pleasure under the direction of God. He's not asking you to set it aside. He's asking you to bring it under the authority of God. And I pray that that's how we would respond. Let's pray together. All of this begins, as you can see, with, with putting our lives in God's hands to setting Him up as Lord in our lives. 
Until we do that, we will never get to the place of experiencing meaning and value and fulfillment. We might look good. We might live very moral lives. Solomon says that got him nowhere. But living under Christ got him everywhere. If you've yet to take that step in your life, pray right now. Dear God, I I, I give my life to you. Forgive my sin. I confess it before you. Make me your child. I desire today to set you up as Lord, as Savior, as the one who gives direction and meaning to my life. Lord, thank you for the beauty of all that you have desired or that you do desire to give me, to experience in life as I align myself with who it is that you've created me, fashioned and formed me to be. So Lord, I give myself to you now. Come be my Lord. Be my Savior. Friend, if you pray that, tell me later. I'd love to know. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to help you to take next steps as you go forward in living this life that gives full and ultimate meaning. Lord, thank you for what we can learn from Solomon. I pray that we would be learners, that we'd be students who listen, who understand, and who respond, not running off our own, in our own direction, doing it all for ourselves, trying to figure it out on our own, but learning along the way because we know that you are the source. Lord, take control, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Thank you again for joining us online today. If this week's message inspired you to go deeper, don't forget that fall is a great time to join a small group. We look forward to seeing you again soon on campus or online. Have a wonderful week, everyone, and we'll see you next time.